Good morning, everyone. Let's see if you clap afterwards. We'll see that, all right? Um, Dave called me and he said, uh, we'd like you to do a message on cleaning up messy relationships. And I said, Dave, why me? And he said, because you have more messed up relationships than anybody I know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But, uh, but I do, just like you do, right? Because if you're in a relationship, it gets crazy fast. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's your marriage. I don't care if it's your parenting. I don't care if it's the people you work with, your neighbors, your extended family, the families that you married into. It all gets kind of crazy. And um, it starts crazy even in your own home. How many of you this morning would admit that you are a morning person? Raise your hand. How many of you who are raising your hands here have the unfortunate experience of being married to a non-morning person? Or should I say it the other way around? The non-morning person is actually having the trouble because you're a morning person. Watch this video clip between a morning person and a non-morning person. Well, I just woke up, but I feel it kind of groovy. Not again. A brand new day and a brand new melody. Not again. Some of my heart and I'll you up the smoothie. I don't want a smoothie. Even I got the words that stuck with me. Oh, you have so much energy. Because I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person in the morning. I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person in the morning. A.M. and I still can't shake the sleepies. That's you! Want a new roommate? Four cups of joe and I'm still half asleep. This coffee isn't doing anything. I changed all the beans out for decaf. Why would you do that? Cause I'm a morning person! I'm a morning person! I'm a morning person in the morning! I'm a morning person! I'm a morning person! I'm a morning person in the morning! And I, 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 I love you! What? I didn't say a thing! You just said I love you. I love everything! Song. Weirdo. You know what time it is? I made this for you! Um, I hope that little ditty sticks in your head for a long time. My kids have been singing that to me for a long time. Well, that's the nature of relationships, especially home ones. But no matter where you work or where you go to school or, or where you hang out, your favorite coffee shop or the people you know, I guarantee you somewhere in that journey, things are going to get messy. So the question becomes, how in the world do we handle messy relationships? Let me tell you why I believe it's inevitable that things will get messy. Some time ago, just for fun, I read the Gospel of Mark. 16 chapters, and everywhere Jesus got in trouble with people, I put a little MR in the margin of my Bible. MR stands for messy relationships. At the end of chapter 16, the very last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, I went back and counted all the MRs I had written in the margins. 106 messy 
relationship experiences for Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say. Jesus is the King of Kings and the sinless Son of God. If someone has a problem with Jesus, I'm betting that it's not Jesus' fault. I don't have that kind of confidence about us. You're a broken sinner. I'm a broken sinner. The chances that we are going to have a mess on our hands somewhere in our friendship is exponential because of that. So what I want to spend my time today doing with you today is looking at how we can clean up messy relationships because they're inevitable that we're going to have messy relationships. So you and I have to become experts at messy, cleaning up messy relationships. And the Bible is the ultimate handbook on how to clean up those messy relationships. So I want you to grab this card uh, that your pastor and church have provided for you. It says love at the top there. And it's got this acronym, clean up. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through C-L-E-A-N-U-P. And, we're going, and I'm going to challenge you at the end to do something with this. There's Bible verses underneath each one of those. Get out your pen, and I want you to fill in the blanks as we go through this so that we can all become experts at cleaning up messy relationships. Are you ready? The C stands for communicate. Go ahead, write the word communicate in there. The C stands for communicate. The C in uh, cleanup stands for communicate. Here's what happens in a, in a relationship. It's interesting to me. Um, when somebody gets hurt in a relationship, they don't necessarily talk about it. They kind of clam up. And this is where the Bible, I think, is instructive. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to speak the truth in love. Some of us love to speak. Some of us actually speak the truth, and we use it as a sword, and we just bloody people. But the Bible says don't just speak. Don't just speak the truth, but what? Speak the truth in love. And that means we have to take the initiative to communicate. Listen, 413 times in the Bible, you read this, you read this phrase, thus saith the Lord. God is a communicator. He gave us a book full of his words so that we would know how to live and how to love Jesus and what he's done for us. So this is what God has done for us. He's a communicator. Even, even between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's he's called 400 years. And what does God do to break that silence? He says, I'm sending my son, Jesus, the word. He says, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. God sends Jesus to break the silence. He's God's word to us. Friends, God is a communicator. We tend to shut down when we get into a messy relationship. Can we just admit that? Let me tell you how I learned this. I've been married 28 years by the grace of God and to the glory of God. It's the longest I've stuck with anything besides Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, I got this long history now. But I was a little naive when I first got married. I remember when I came home one day that obviously something wasn't right. I noticed that my wife had put all of my sleeping stuff, my pillow, little blanket, right on a couch. Now, you may not have the gift of discernment like I do. I'm quick. I just pick up on these things like something's not right with buttercup. So I'm thinking, now what do I do? So I walked up to her, and men, do you relate this if you're married? I walked up to her and said, what's wrong? And my wife said, nothing. Now let me tell you how silly I was my first year of marriage. When my wife 
said nothing was wrong. What did I think? Nothing was wrong. Hey, forgive me, all right? I mean, that's kind of like communication, right? Now I know that when my wife, and I ask the question, what's wrong? And she says nothing. What's the truth? Everything is wrong. Are you kidding? I never want to hear the words nothing out of my wife's mouth at all because I know everything is wrong. Friends, what we have learned to do, and I am here to tell you one of the reasons I've been married 28 years and hopefully for another 28 is because my wife doesn't play the nothing game with me anymore. I know. When, sometimes my wife gets mad at me. She says, you know, I say, you know, what, what happened? I'm, I know we're out of sorts here. Help me out. Well, you should know. Ladies, I have to tell you something. You're giving men way too much credit. We do not know. You are a mystery to us. And I'm sure that we were wrong. I just don't know how. Right? Can I get an amen from the men? All right, you know. So we got to communicate. Speak the truth in love. This is huge, right? That's what the Bible says. The L, the C stands for, say it with me, communicate. The L stands for listen. Say it. Listen. Not just hear, but listen. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Zsa Zsa Gabor, some of you don't know who she is. She was a famous uh, 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 movie star kind of a person and always obsessed with herself, gorgeous. And I think she's passed away now. But as the story goes, Zsa Zsa Gabor was talking to somebody and the more she talked, she talked about herself. And the more she talked about herself, the more the other person began to lose interest in her. And she saw this. She saw the person losing interest. So she knew she needed to shake it up a little bit. She goes, ah, but darling, we must talk about something else. How do you like my dress? <laughs> she still made it about her, right? That's the problem. The reason you and I aren't good listeners is because even when we listen to someone talk, we wait. We're actually thinking, I know what I'm going to say. I'm waiting for that person to stop talking. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you could have got to get in there, right? Instead of actually listening. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you have someone in your life who is a horrible listener, and whenever you talk to this person, all that person talks about is them? Raise your hand if that's true in your life. If that person's sitting next to you, do not raise your hand. Just kidding you. Okay, so you, when you, it's, it's kind of a one-sided relationship. They want to talk, 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 but they never want to hear about you. When you're in a grocery store, store, if you see that person, do you find yourself gravitating toward that person, or do you run to the other aisle? You will always run to the other aisle. We are not drawn to people who talk about themselves. We are drawn to people, we are endeared by people who are good listeners. You see, How many of you have a good friend who's a great listener? Come on. All right, now watch. You love seeing that people, that person at a coffee shop. You love seeing them at church. You love seeing them in your neighborhood. Why? Because they listen to you. Each of us should be quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Seriously, this, if I could just pause for a moment and say to you, if you did only one thing, you got, think about a messy relationship you have. It might be with your teenager. Boy, I got a bunch of teenagers. They roll their eyes at me. I understand that. I don't think you're a good parent to your teenager rolls her eye at you. 
their eyes. Maybe they got more than one, all right? But think with me for a moment. This is part of the deal. The nature of all these relationships we have, work relationships, friends, church relationships, some of the messy, can I tell you this? Some of the messiest church relationships I've ever seen happen in church. Oh my goodness, they're just, there's just these uh, weird things happen. I know of a church where um, they, it's, an, it's an old church. It has a long history. It's out in the country where I grew up, and they have this fence around the graveyard because in these old days, they had the graveyard right next to the church. And there is, I kid you not, there is a fence that separates the graveyard. And you know the story. At some point in the history of that church, there was a debate about something, and it split the church. So the people that believed this, they were buried over here. This is right outside the church. And the people that believed this is over here. It's just, to this day, they're actually buried in defiance of one another. Friends, this does not become us as people of God in a broken world. We don't, none of us have perfect relationships, but all of us can have reconciled relationships. Do you understand the difference? That's just part of listening, learning to pause and gather information. That's what we have to do. Listen, don't make any judgments, get all the facts. It takes a lot of work and you can't be about yourself. Romans 15.2 says, Romans 15.2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Who is this about? It's about our neighbors. It's about our friends. We got to quit being about us and being about them. And the only way we could ever quit being about us, listen now, is that Jesus takes over our lives. Because I will always be about King me until Jesus reigns in me. The C stands for what? The L stands for? The E stands for equanimity. Go ahead and write that down. Equanimity. Equanimity means evenness of mind under stress. Evenness of mind under stress. I love it. A gentle answer, Proverbs 51. A gentle, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Whoever said fight fire with fire wasn't a fireman. If you fight fire with fire, you're going to have a bigger fire. You fight fire with the opposite. Equanimity says, if people are out of control, then I'm going to be self-controlled. If people are angry, I'm going to be calm. By the way, you can only do this with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is why God tells us, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But if you fight fire, if you have a harsh word against somebody, and it's just, they come back with a harsh word, have you been, am I the only one that's been in these? Oh yeah? Well watch how angry I can get. And that's before I leave your church parking lot. I've seen some of you drive. I'm not happy. Sometimes I don't even make a good Christian even out of the parking lot. Reminds me of the story of a sailor whose main goal in life, he worked on the seas his whole life, but his main goal was to meet a real bona fide pirate. One day he was, he was at, on the boardwalk and he heard clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop. And he thought, oh my goodness, that sounds like a pirate because a pirate has a peg leg. And he looked up, and sure enough, here is a real pirate. The sailor could not believe this fortune to be able to meet a real pirate. Had a peg leg, hook for a hand, and of course the obligatory patch for an eye. The sailor ran up to him and said, oh, I've always wanted to meet a pirate. I have a bunch of questions I want to ask you. The pirate said, go ahead, matey. He said, how in the world did you get that peg leg? Interesting story, says 
The power, we were off the coast. We were way out in the middle of nowhere. I couldn't see land. And he says, a great big storm came up and it blew me overboard. And my friends began to pull me in. And as they pulled me in, a big old shark bit my leg off. He goes, wow. And how about the hook? How'd you get the hook? He says, oh. One night, we jumped aboard another ship to rob it of its booty. He said, while we were over there, a sword fight ensued, and they cut my hand off. That's how I got the hook. And the sailor said, blimey, how about, how about your eye? How did you lose your eye? And the pirate said, arr, a seagull dropping fell into my eye. And the, to dis dismay, the, pirate, the sailor said, a seagull dropping put your eye out? The pirate said, Arr, it was my first day with the hook. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> Friends, here's the point of the story. The pirate, when a seagull dropped and fell into his eye, he had a temporary problem. But because he didn't handle it properly, he made a temporary problem a permanent one. Now, don't act like you've never done that in a relationship. That's what it means to be human. We take something that's small, and because we don't handle it right, it becomes this big, long, ugly, and sometimes permanent damage that happens in our relationship. Make no mistake about it. You're going to need to communicate. You're going to need to be a great listener. But you're going to need the Spirit of God to give you equanimity, evenness of mind, under pressure. I don't know about you, but I don't do well under pressure. Sometimes I'm just too tired about it. Too, too exhausted. The A stands for amnesia. Write that down, amnesia. If you're going to have great relationships with people, you're going to need to have some God-given amnesia. Selective amnesia. We got a room full of people, and I say to you today, I guarantee you if we sat around in a therapy circle, we could all talk about the hurts and the burdens that we bear. Now see, on Sunday morning, we all fake it so much. You look so good out there. I'm looking at you, and I'm like, no, that's not. But I also live on the same planet you do, and I know, I know, because we are broken human beings whom Jesus is redeeming but we're still broken and we still have a ways to go. We could all sit in a circle and we could tell story after story of brokenness and hurt in our lives. Now watch, some of you here, you have held on to unforgiveness in your soul towards somebody. Some of you here might even be, be uh, determined to take it to the grave with you. But I have a word for you. First, the Bible. Here's what the Bible says to you and your unforgiveness. Be kind to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In other words, did you deserve to be forgiven? No. Did it cost God a lot? The life of his son. The blood of his son. Did God still forgive you even when you didn't deserve it? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now with that same grace, you didn't deserve God. With that same grace you received, received from the person of Jesus Christ and God forgives you, God says, 
receive that grace and pass it on to others. We say, well, they, don't, they didn't ask me. We play these little games, don't we? They didn't ask me to forgive them. That's not what he said. He said, be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you, if they ask for forgiveness. No, do it anyway. From my heart to yours, I've been a Christian 37, 38 years. I've worked with churches in every kind of imaginable situation you can think of. It is weird to see a Christian who's bitter. It's not, bef- it's not fitting for the life God has called us to. And yet I know every one of us in this room has been tempted to hold on to something. So here's another word for you. When we arbor and we comfort ourselves with bitterness and hatred toward other people, watch. If we're unforgiving, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're going to die. Your spirit is going to die. You cannot love, hate that which God loves, and he loves people. You know what taught me about amnesia? Like forgiveness and letting me off the hook? 15-year-old kid. I was teaching public school. That's what brought me to central Illinois. I was teaching public school. I loved students. I loved them all. But my favorite ones were the ones that were challenging. I know it's weird, right? Because that's who I am. That's who I was when I was 15. It it was hard to get an A in my class because I didn't grade inflate. And it was hard to flunk my class because I loved people who didn't, the school system didn't work for. So I would give you a D minus if you tried. I'd get you through. That was my main score in high school, D minus. I kid you not. So I had a heart for students like that. I had one student, his name was Andy. He always sat right real close to me, so I'd keep an eye on him, he'd keep an eye on me. It was fun. I enjoyed him immensely. He was flunking my class because he wasn't even trying. It's hard to flunk my class. You gotta really do nothing. He was doing nothing. Zero, zero, zero. One day I did this little teacher thing. I had, I had told the students, I said, um, I want you to go ahead and uh, hand in your a paragraph. I just had him write a paragraph. I was an English teacher. And I said, uh, I want you to go ahead now and, and read a story. So I did a little teacher trick. I took all the papers, put them over my desk, graded them, entered them into my grade book, and then I passed out all the papers back to the students. And then I stood up to teach the class. As I was started to teach the class, Andy said to me, Mr. Allison, uh, I, you handed everybody's paper back, but you didn't hand my back. Andy never hands in a paper. I said, Andy, I told you, if you'll hand me in a paper, I'll get you one back. So I didn't get one, so you get nothing. Started to teach class. He said, Mr. Allison, wait now. I handed, a, I handed a paper in this time, and you're not giving me credit for it. I said, Andy, we've been through this. I got to teach this class. If you want to talk to me later, talk to me later. That's fine, but I'm telling you, you didn't hand in a paper. He stood up, he slammed his book down, and he pointed right at my face, and he said, Mr. Allison, you lost my paper. Now listen, um, you want to flunk my class, that's your American prerogative. You're going to blame me for your lack of effort, I'm going to be in your face. So I used this little teacher technique called proximity. I walked right up to him, and I got this far away from his nose, and I said it, this, and this is how I said it. Andy, sit down and shut your face. Hey, I'm not proud of that moment, and I hardly ever did that when I taught school. And I could tell the class was like, whoa, 
Because if you never do that, they don't know what to do with you. Whoa, Allison's on the rampage, right? I knew I was losing my cool. So I knew I needed the first rule, I got to get a hold of me. So I said, hey, you guys, you haven't finished reading that story yet. Go ahead and read that story. I went over to my desk, I sat down, and I just started to count to 10, calm myself, praying a little bit. God, help me now. I don't want this kid to rattle me. So I'm like, okay, got calm. It's time for me to teach the class. I got to get back up there. I got to redeem the time. I grab my book, my textbook, and I start to go, and I look under my textbook. There's Andy's paper. Can I be real with you? How real can I be with you? You won't think less of me, will you? I kid you not. I silently weighed all my options. I, the first thought that came to my mind, I'm not proud of this, throw it away, no one will ever know. You know what the problem with being a Christian teacher is? Got the Holy Spirit living in you. He just starts tapping my heart. You know better than that, Bill. You would never be able to live with me if you did that. Just tapping on my heart. I'm like, okay, here's what I'll do. Because this is what I would do anyway. I'm going to keep him after class and let him know I found the paper. I just feel this tugging on my heart. I don't know how the Holy Spirit talks to you, but this is what I heard that day. Allison, you stood in front of that class. You opened your big fat mouth. You stick your foot, you stuck your foot way inside. There's only one thing left to do. Stand in front of that class, open up your mouth, and pull out your foot. I had to work my way up there. I look at the paper, and I think to myself, well, maybe it's not even that good. Oh, no, it's a B. I put it in the grade book. I take his paper. I walk up. Everybody's quiet. They're kind of scared of me at this point. I said, uh, and Andy's just looking down. I said, Andy. He looks up at me and he goes, what? He's, he wants to punch me and now I know why. I said, uh, I found your paper and there was a 30 seat. Everybody breathed in at the same time. If there was somebody walking through the hallway, they'd have been sucked into the vortex. I kid you not, right into my room. And I looked that kid in the eye, and you could have heard a pin drop. I thought, man, these kids are going to learn something that has nothing to do with English, but everything to do with life. I looked him right in the eye, and I said, you were right. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And this kid had a scowl on his face, and he was like, and I said, will you forgive me? And he goes, he leans back in his chair, and he says, no sweat, Mr. A., and it was over that fast. Now let me tell you, how over was it? I had that kid for several more semesters of freshman English. And never once did he say to me, Mr. Allison, remember that time you lost my paper? What kind of bonehead teacher loses papers? Never once did he say that. In fact, our relationship was better than ever. Because when I sinned, I confessed, and he had the grace to forgive me. Friends, you're going to need amnesia, selective amnesia, or it will eat you alive. The N stands for, in cleanup, ready? Naps. 
naps. You know what's interesting? The Bible says, Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's so interesting to me that if you get the feel of God's people in the Old and New Testaments, there's this rhythm of rest. God works six days. He wants you to rest a day. In our culture, now watch, if you called my house today, and, um, which I hope you don't, but if you do, and, and, and my wife answered and said, well, Bill can't come to the phone right now because he's sleeping. He's taking a nap. Like at 2 in, two in the afternoon, you'd be like, wow, that guy's lazy, wouldn't you? Because you're American. You'd be like, that's lazy. Kind of I thought that guy worked. <laughs> he's got six, seven kids. That kid's got, he's got to feed those kids, doesn't he? And he's sleeping. And that's how we take, that's how we, we are so weird. We're so dysfunctional in this culture about rest. They've done studies. I've seen these studies done by uh, cultures that people live over 100. There's several places around the world where people live over 100. So they did this study on people that live over to, be, to be over 100 years old. And what they found was that they shared several characteristics in common, one of which, I want you to hear this, one of which is they take a day off for religious reasons. A week, one day off a week. Not always the same religious reason, but they all had religious reasons why they did. Isn't God amazing? Doesn't he know what he's doing? He's the one that says, you know what? If you will follow me and do what I say and take a rest, you will prolong, it'll be good for you. I have a PSA, a public service announcement for you. Your family wants you to know this. I'm sorry to break this to you, but you are crabby. The most spiritual thing you can do. Your family hopes you'll do this today. Is take a nap. Did you hear what I said? The most spiritual thing you can do is sometimes just to take a nap. We have six daughters out of seven kids. Not bragging, that's a prayer request. <laughs> I got them ages four to 25. I know it's not good planning. But I want you to hear this. When we start having, when people get tired, I see this all the time in my house. And it's, I'm looking at my watch. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night, and this is about ready to launch for another two-hour run. I've been through this. So I make dumb rules at my house, like, no, we are not going to talk about this after 9 o'clock at night. Why? Because you're so tired, it doesn't even matter. It just gets worse and worse and worse, and next thing you know, you get no sleep then. Here's what I found, even amongst the emotional ones. If we can shut it down somehow, and everybody goes to bed, it's funny how in the morning after a good night's sleep, you still got some work to do, but you're not so tired it doesn't create more work. Right? Naps. Rest. All right, the C stands for, tell me, say it loud. The C stands for? The L stands for? The E stands for equanimity. That's hard. A stands for, and the N stands for, and the, and the U in up stands for umbrellas. Umbrellas. What do umbrellas do? Umbrellas keep things from hitting you. Now, there's a time and place when somebody's throwing mud at you to just look them in the eyes and speak the truth in love, communicate. Hey, why are you saying these bad things to me and about me or whatever? Just, just like in having this moment. You know, sometimes people online, people get online and they say all kinds of crazy stuff. I usually just pick up the phone and say, hey, what was that all about? They always back off. They don't know what to do with someone that just kind of speaks the truth and love to them. 
And it's, to get in a spitting match online is kind of weird. You're not going to win. This is why Paul tells Timothy over and over again, avoid foolish and stupid arguments because sometimes you just, it's, by entertaining that, you get in trouble. But there is a place to speak the truth in love, but there's also a place to let it bounce off. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's 1 Peter 4.8. Love covers a multitude of sins. Do you trust the Holy Spirit to work in someone's life? Leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in their life. There's a place to say, hey, we got to have a talk. But there's also a place to go, I'm just going to give God room to work. Umbrellas. Umbrellas. Sometimes I just let it bounce off. How do you know when to let it bounce off? My two favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, says this. Well, I also have to say, he that blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse. That's one of my favorite ones. But also, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, it says, answer, a, answer not a fool in his folly, lest you be like him. So if you see somebody being stupid, don't even bother to give them an answer. You know what the next verse says? Answer a fool in his folly, lest he think he be wise. So what is it? Do we answer a fool in his folly or do we not? And the answer is, it depends. There's a time and place. How will I know when? The Holy Spirit. I was at an elders meeting one time and one guy just chewed into another guy. And I'm like a peacemaker. I'm like going to fix it. And God's like, just wait. The meeting's not over. Leave room for me. And I guarantee you, 30 minutes later, the guy who ripped into this other guy, hey, let's stop this meeting for a moment. I'm being convicted by the Spirit. He looked over and he said, brother, I had a rough day at work today. I brought that anger against you when you asked a simple question. Will you forgive me? Answer not a fool in his folly. Let it bounce off. Let it bounce off. There was a bird who uh, was sick of flying south for the winter. And uh, when he realized, oh my goodness, he said, um, um, I'm not going to do it. And all of a sudden it got really cold and he got worried. So he said, I'm going to change my mind. So about December he started to take off. As he flew, the more he flew, the more he realized it was a big mistake. He wasn't going to make it. His wings couldn't even move. Ice on him. He looks down. He sees a barnyard. He says, well, at least I'll die with my own kind. Runs down right behind a cow. Cow takes one step. Drops a plop right on him. Bird goes, great, I'm going to die, and now I'm going to smother to death with a plop on top of me. But about five minutes later, he realized something beautiful. That plop was warm. And because that was warm, he began to feel his wings and the blood run through his wings again. And he had this moment of realization that he was, he was going to stink, but he was not going to die. He was so happy, he began to sing. And all of a sudden, the barnyard cat couldn't believe his ears. He said, what is that? I haven't heard that in months. Came out into the barnyard, began looking around, and right behind this cow, underneath this plop, something's singing. The cat starts digging away under that, finds this bird, and he ate him. <laughs> you don't want me telling your kids stories, I'll tell you that right now. There's three morals to the story. Are you ready? What do we learn from this story? Number one, not everyone who drops a plop on you is your enemy. Number two, not everyone who wipes a plop off you is your friend. 
And most importantly for this point, if someone drops a plop on you, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Umbrellas. The P stands for prayer. Prayer. Friends, listen. I say prayer because the only way I know how to hook into God's power to deal with my own brokenness and the brokenness of others is by praying, God help me, give me power. I want to close with a passage of scripture and then I'm going to have you pray. It comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's a very familiar passage, but we never get quite to the last two verses. It's the Jesus teaching people how to pray. Let me read it for you. They're going to put it up on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 6. Start with verse 9. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. This sounds familiar, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation to do what? Watch. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now watch. Verse 14 and 15. The parts we never get. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. These are really strong words coming from the Savior of the world, who when they nailed him to the cross could have said, this is unforgivable, but he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How can you ever expect God to forgive you if you don't ask God to help you forgive others? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Friends, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you, I don't know how you'll ever be able to do this on your own power. I think you need Jesus. You will never be able to love people who have hurt you unless you have Jesus as king of your life. And when you make him king of your life, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and he gives you the power to do this. As we had this conversation today, was there somebody that kept coming to mind? You need to forgive them, but you're going to have to ask Jesus to help you. So the first thing I want to challenge you to do is to confess your sin of unforgiveness. Confess how you make relationships messy. I challenge you to do that right now. Say, God, please forgive me for hurting others, bitterness, unforgiveness, and not loving people the way you want me to. Just say that to them right now in the quiet of your heart. Now I want you to put your hands palms up on your lap. Put your hands, like in receiving. You're going to receive something. Now I want you to tell God, thank you for forgiving me. 
I receive your forgiveness. Tell him that. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your forgiveness. Now, ask God to help you to walk out of here determined to clean up the messy relationships in your life. Say, God, help me with your power, your word, to begin to clean up messiness in our lives. Would you stand for prayer now? Just stand for prayer. Let me pray for you, and I'll pray for me too, because I'll tell you why. The only way to determine if what happens at church is real, is how we end up living when we leave here. And I don't know about you, but I'm be tempted to make things messy again. I need Jesus. You do. God help us. Lord, thank you for giving us grace and forgiveness through Christ. Now, help us to receive that grace and to pass it on. For those who have never received Christ, I pray that this week, today, even before they leave, they will settle that matter. And I pray for those of us who claim to know you but are bitter, you would bug us and bug us and not let us sleep until we release people who have hurt us. Lord, some of us might need to make phone calls today and let people know these words, I forgive you. Some of us might need to stand near a grave and say the words out loud to a person who is no longer with us, I forgive you. Lord, set us free from the temptation to be bitter and unforgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Get your napped.